This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to another episode of Woods and Waters Project podcast. I'm your host, Steph, and I am so excited for you guys to be here. This is an extremely powerful episode with an extremely powerful, amazing woman. But before we get started, I did want to let you know if you are triggered at all by stories of sexual abuse, I would want you to know ahead of time before we get into this episode, as we do talk about um, some really real life events and uh, just want to give everyone the heads up if it is triggering at all. There are mentions of it in this podcast. Outside of that, we talk about the way Drea grew up, basically with the wilderness in her back door, having a garden the size of a football field, having access to hunting in the state of Washington right out her back door and growing up doing that with her entire family. Uh, turning into a guide, being an entrepreneur, uh, it writing a book. It's some really powerful and inc- incredibly inspiring conversation. And I am glad you're here to listen to it. Let's meet Drea. guys you hear me say this over and over I'm so excited about our guests because I think we have some of the best guests ever uh we have Drea today uh and we have so much to talk about I kind of feel like we might even have a part two (laughs) after this conversation but Drea and I just connected and learning her story meeting her I am 
I am just, I'm pumped for all of you to get to know her. So Drea, if you would introduce yourself to our, to our listeners, that would be great. Thanks for having me. First off, Steph, I am excited to be here and chat today. Um, so looking forward to it and sharing my story with everyone. So my name is Drea. I live in Colorado over in the Southwest region over by Paonia. I'm a hunting guide and a small business owner of Ridge Patrol. It's a women's specific hunting clothing line, writing a book, just a lot of great things going on. <laughs> Grew up in a hunting family over on the West Coast in Washington, um, hunting for black-tailed deer, Roosevelt elk. My family essentially lived off of the land. And I'll get in more detail about that as we go on, but, you know, grew up in the hunting family and now currently in the process of building up two businesses and sort of paving my way in the hunting industry. So it's always a pleasure to get on these podcasts and talk to other people and share the story and hopefully can inspire some other people along the way. That's awesome. I wish I had like a call-in feature for guests because you just said so many things that I don't even know where to start. Like, (laughs) I know we talked about going with the flow, but I'm like, dang, which one do I want to start with? That's why we will probably have a part two to this podcast. And then later on down the road, I'm sure we'll have more, but yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. I I love that. One of the best parts of having a podcast, if not, if not the best part are the people that you meet and like friendships that develop and networking that develops and learning from each other, talking to people from across the country. You know, you're not that far away from me, but like Iowa and Colorado are totally different worlds as far as like the outdoor space, mm-hmm. people living sometimes. So it's yeah. just, it's awesome. Like yeah, that's so, so much to take away from, from each other's perspective and experiences and to be able yeah. to share that on a platform. It's, we're pretty lucky in today's age to be able to have this. Yeah. You know, actually, when I started the podcast, when I knew that I wanted to start a podcast, I went back and forth between two different ideas. And one of, and I, and I, I wanted to start either another podcast or a YouTube channel around this. And I I was going to take the Flatlander approach. Okay. So I am from the Midwest, born and raised, hunting, outdoorsy, as far as the Midwest goes, you know, I'm all about hunting and I'm relatively hardcore, right? As far as the Midwest goes, but Midwest hunting and lifestyle just purely based on like the terrain and the elevation in like Colorado and mountain and like out West, um, it's just different, right? Like the ability, your physical ability, how you hunt, what you hunt for. Um, there's just so many things that are just, they're just, just so different. And so my original idea for a podcast is I was going to take people on this journey with me before doing some like Western hunts, like a relatively like in mediocre shape girl (laughs) going from Midwest hunting to being like a Western hunter. That was my first idea for a podcast. I'm like, damn, I got to be really committed to some of these Western hunts if I do that. Yeah. And there, yeah. Anyway, it just made me think that I don't know if I've ever shared that on this podcast before, but, um, I would love to start with the beginning based on, you know, going into that. I would love to start with like how you grew up and how that kind of, how you feel, how, how, whatever you want to share kind of made you like who you are right now. And, and, you know, what led you to what you're doing now? Absolutely. I grew up in 
the West Coast, so Longview, Washington. We were about an hour from the coast, a couple hours from the mountains. We had 10 acres of land. It was, when I look back at my childhood, it's just, it's pure paradise and hard work. So grew up in a family of 14 and uh, a fairly religious family. I'll get into that in a little bit as well. Um, but like I said in the intro, we were hunters and gatherers. That was our way of life. It's just, it's who we were. And it was a way to be able to feed the family. And, you know, we had every fruit and vegetable in the garden that we could grow. It was prime growing climate over there. So we had apple trees scattered throughout the property, cherry trees, um, blackberry bushes grew wild. So we would just pick an abundance of those bucketfuls of blackberries and mom would make blackberry jam and blackberry pie, blackberry syrup, you know, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, grapes, we would make grape juice and, you know, all the vegetables, we would live off those through the summer and the fall. And then we would have big canning days where we would can green beans and corn. And, you know, as soon as we were 12 years old, we would go and take our hunter safety. And I think I was, you know, under 12, I was going out with my dad and, and experiencing that with him. And it was always something for me, that was so grounding and so empowering. And I was just so curious about it. There was something so wild and adventurous about being out in the wild and being so in tune with your surroundings. And as soon as I turned 12 years old, took hunter safety and just absolutely just fell in love with hunting. So we had a connection starting from a very young age with the wild, with where our food came from and the hard work that it takes to be able to have that. It was so rewarding to be able to, in the spring, we would have to plant the garden. Our garden was the size of a football field, right? And so we would have to plant the garden, water the garden. And then when things started growing, we were constantly weeding, you know, on Saturdays, we had to weed two rows before we can go out and play. That was like our chores you know, after the season was done, we had to prune all the trees, like just so much work and so much connection with where our food comes from. And I'm so grateful for that. It's just, like I said, I look back and it's so magical. It's so, it was such like a paradise just in the summer, I would go out and be like, what do I want for lunch today? I'm going to have a squash. So I'd pick like a butternut squash and go in and make or, oh, I want a smoothie. And I would go out and pick some strawberries and raspberries and whatever, and have, you know, a, a smoothie freshly made from the fruit that we had worked so hard to plant and grow every single year. And it was just a way of life. That's just how it was. And, you know, I, I would love to be able now to be able to fully sustain myself. It's a work in progress. Obviously the climate here in Colorado isn't quite like that in Washington. We were pretty spoiled with that. So all of our time as kids, we were spent outdoors. Friends would come over, we would go out in the woods and we would build forts out in the forest and just so much time spent in the dirt, running around bare feet, dirt under our nails. Like I said, I just keep going back to it. It was like a way of life. There wasn't anything else we really wanted to do. So we had that, that fundamental way of just that deep connection with that's just what we did was we were outside people, hunters and gatherers. We had fish in the Columbia River during the summer for steelhead and salmon. And we would spend all day, we would get up at 4 a.m. We would drive up, up the river and throw our poles out and we would fish all day. And it was just 
so great to be out there. And I feel like it's something the world has become so disconnected with in today's age. Granted, we can't control that, but, you know, through stories like this, through my book that I'm writing about essentially my life, my book is going to be called What's Her Wild and Untold Story. Um, and it's just going to be an inspirational memoir of, of my life and my connection. And um, the story that I'll tell today through the podcast is pretty much a snippet of what this book is going to be. So we had that, that deep connection with, with the outdoors. And then, like I said, my family, there was 14 of us, nine brothers, uh, four sisters, you know, only the two parents. People ask me that all the time. Wow. Was it the same parents? Yep. <laughs> so the religion that my family practices and that I grew up in, I obviously don't practice it anymore. The Stadium Lutheran congregation. Uh, so to give you sort of some background on what the religion is, is uh, very, uh, I like to say fundamentalist. Some people call it a cult, very narrow-minded where you live every single day to get to heaven. So we grew up without a TV. We grew up unable to participate in any sort of sports. There was no altering of the appearance. Um, when I shaved the side of my head, I remember my sister making a comment about how uncomfortable my mom must have been. And I'm like, it's just hair, you know, like no piercings, no makeup. We dress very modest. Like I would wear a V-neck shirt and I would wear a tank top underneath it because there was no no cleavage, your shorts, your skirts, dresses, everything had to be at least almost to the knees. Um, no birth control, which is why there were so many of us. Um, safe sex for marriage. You only date to get married. And then once you are married, the woman's purpose in life is to have children and to further on those generations so that religion can keep going on. And so that's essentially my religion in a nutshell. No drinking, no music, no movies. So very straight, very narrow-minded. And I often wonder if we didn't grow up on the land that we had, how different I would be. Because without being able to sit in front of a TV, like we had PlayStation and stuff, but like that was something we spent very little time. My parents were pretty strict about how much screen time we could have. You know, that was typically spent for like the evenings, a couple hours in the evenings or something like that. So I always question, like, it'd be really crazy to see what my life would have turned out if I didn't have, um, you know, the space that we had to run around and explore and not being able to, I couldn't hang out with friends from school. You only hang out with people within that religion. So it was a very narrow-minded, uh, living, very simple, and the main practice of this religion is as long as you have the Holy Spirit, as they say, as long as you choose to believe, as long as you are quote unquote, a believer and have the Holy Spirit, then you can have any and all sins forgiven. And as long as you believe that way and you have your sins forgiven, anything can be forgiven and you um, are an acceptable child of God. So I don't want to like get too deep into the religious part, because I'm sure a lot of you don't want to hear about that on this podcast, but I feel like it's important to lay the ground, the groundwork for, you know, that was an important part of my upbringing as to the part of the story I'm going to tell next. So having this way of life where you go to church and, you know, 
you get your sins forgiven anytime you get in a fight with a sibling, or I remember taking an apple off the tree without asking. And I went up to my bedroom for some reason and I got in trouble and I had to ask for my sins forgiven for like the silliest thing, right? Like, believe it or not, it really fucks with your head <laughs> having living. And I understand that now. And I don't want to try in no way, shape or form. Am I saying religion is bad? And I'm not trying to like bash on this religion that I grew up in, but there are certain experiences that I have had in my life that has really given me a perspective on it of religion is very personal to each person. And so when I was roughly 10, 11, 12 years old, I suffered sexual abuse from my brother, both rape and molestation. And I won't go into details about how or when that happened. I will share about that in my book a little bit more. But, you know, at 10, 11, 12 years old, I was, I was pretty young. And then not only when you suffer, when you go through something so traumatic as that, yes, you become a victim. So it's not easy for you to run and tell somebody, right? Most people who have suffered some sort of trauma in their life, they understand that it's not easy to just go and tell somebody. Not only that, but I remember very distinctly a couple days later, sitting in the church pew and listening to the minister, you know, throw his arm out and preach the gospel to everybody and looking around and seeing people just like worshiping this message and like wanting their sins forgiven. And I remember being like, oh, God forgives me. Like God forgives my brother. Like everything's going to be okay. Like I don't have to worry about this. We forgive and we forget. That is what the preacher preached every single time and every single sermon was, you know, 70 times seven, you forgive your sin. As long as you ask for it forgiven, it'll be forgiven and forgotten and you never have to worry about it. You will be acceptable to the, to the, to heaven. Right. And I fucked with my brain. <laughs> and so I didn't tell a single soul because this religion that I was practicing, you know, is 10, 11, 12 years old. And so that's enough time for my brain to be conditioned to believe like this is the only way to believe. This is the only way I'm going to be acceptable to heaven. This is the only religion out there, quote unquote, that they say is the right religion to believe. Everyone else in this world who doesn't believe this way is going to die and they're going to burn in hell for eternity. It was terrifying being a child and living with this message of, this is the only way to live. If you do not have your sins forgiven and you go to sleep at night and you die, you are going to burn in hell and you are going to fill every single ounce of it. So I essentially became a survivor. I turned to fight and flight mode where I did everything I could to suppress the memory of the abuse that my brother, you know, acted out upon me and my only way I knew how to cope was to run to the forest and to hide in the woods. That is the only place I felt safe. I had nightmares every single night. I would wake up in full on sweat. I'd be grabbing at my throat, like gasping for breath, crying. Like there was even times that I wouldn't leave the bedroom in the middle of the night and I would pee on the carpet because I was so terrified to leave my bedroom because I didn't know if my brother was waiting in the hallway for me. And I lived in this fear for so long. And I, anytime I was inside, I was just insanely scared watching my back. 
I would have nightmares about people coming into the house and attacking me. And so I experienced these intense moments growing up. Anytime I was uncomfortable, anytime I was tested, anytime I felt like I wasn't getting my way, my sister and her friends weren't playing with me, like the silliest things I would, I would feel my body reacting. My heart would start racing. I would get this sweat and I would just get so angry and I would just take off running. I would run away all the time and I would run to the forest and that's where I would sit. There was a couple spots that I, I had that always, that I always seemed to go back to. So there was this place along the tall, the tall evergreen trees. It was a, a hillside along the ferns and I would sit among the ferns and the big trees and just the, as I sat there, I could feel my body start to relax. My heart rate would slow down. The anxiety would go away. And I felt so safe in these wild places. The deer would come by, you know, luckily over there in, in the West Coast, we didn't have really any predators. Um, but regardless, like I felt this insane deep connection. And that was that was the place that I went to, to feel safe. That was the place I went to, to worship. And I didn't know it then, right? Cause I was, I was a child. I was so young. I was so scared, but I, I knew I had these places I could go to in these moments of just sheer panic attacks and anxiety. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I grew up in a place that I did where I did have that out my back door and I know things would have been completely different if I grew up in the suburbs or in a city somewhere, somewhere where we only had a couple acres of land, but we had unlimited land essentially to be able to explore. And that became my healing grounds. And it happened multiple times. I would get home from school. I would grab my mom's camera and it just became something for me that I had to do every single day. And if I didn't, that anxiety was there. I would have those nightmares and I just was in this fight or flight mode, constantly watching my back. Of course, I didn't realize all this was happening and this was the way I was coping then. You know, this all became very clear to me years down the road after I moved to Colorado and um, removed myself from that religious way of thinking and started seeing a counselor and started, you know, putting the pieces together as wow, like uh, this was the way that I coped. And this was, this was how I prevented that. That's what saved me. The wild is what saved me. I, I probably would have killed myself. Like I definitely would have been suicidal if I didn't have mother nature to just hold on to me and tell me it was going to be okay. And so as soon as I turned 12 and I was old enough to hunt, I took every opportunity I could. I would get home from school and be like, mom, I'm going to go out and hunt. I will be back. I've got homework, but I'll do it after dinner, after it's dark, because I hated being in that house. I just knew the feeling that came over me being out there. And so once I started hunting on my own, then I started to experience this confidence growth that I, I never had, you know, being in such a closed minded um, way of life and not having the ability to participate in sports and to be able to interact socially with people outside of their religion. It really does breed a lot of um, 
insecurities and low self-esteem and lack of confidence. On top of that, I had, um, you know, the abuse that was in the back of my mind, the whole fight or flight mode. And so I would grab the, the muzzleloader if I was hunting for elk or I'd grab the shotgun if I was hunting for deer. And I would just go behind the house and I would escape. And October was my favorite month because that was hunting season. It was a month long. And I looked forward to it every single year. I counted down the days because I knew I got to be out there and it was an excuse. It was an escape. And I was able to just let go and, you know, challenge myself and try and see how close I can get to the animals. And, you know, I killed my very first deer on the property behind my house all alone. And I remember that feeling of just feeling so empowered that like, I can do this. And like, there is like, there's something deeper within me that is just so, like, I can't, you know, almost explain it, but to be able to go out there and kill my very first two animals, my the first elk I killed and the first deer I killed, I was all alone. And it was just so empowering. It was brought my confidence up and started to realize like, okay, like this is my place. Like this is, is something for me that that keeps me going. It gives me hope. It gives, you know, something to look forward through during the lull of, of the winter time. And, and, um, you know, especially in Washington where it rains 300 days out of the year became a very depressive state in those winter months. Summer was great because I was running around outside all the time anyway. So I had that connection in the summer as well. So I just started realizing that I have this that hunting was just like my thing, not only hunting, but just being out in the wild had this way of teaching me so much and telling me it's going to be okay. And so such a challenging place, like the elements of nature don't care if you're having a bad day, it's going to do what it's going to do and you've got to adapt to it. And so very grateful, very, very grateful that I had the space to be able to have an escape from my demons because unless if you have suffered some sort of abuse, like it's, it's a pretty scary place on top of that, you know, the religious upbringing of you forgive and you forget. So I suppressed the fact that I was sexually abused for my brother for a good, a good 10 years. We'll fast forward to my, uh, my teenage years, I don't know, it was probably somewhere between like 15 and 18 years old. And I was in Minnesota for a brother's wedding and was just driving in the car with my sister and sister-in-laws. And um, someone had made a comment about this girl that goes, this other family that attends the church and how she, she um, came out with that her dad had molested her. And all of a sudden, like a brick wall, I was like, oh my God, Drea, like it came back and it hit me for 10 years. I completely forgot about it. And I was in Minnesota for a family's wedding. And I had to see that brother in like 15 minutes. And I was just like, nope, don't let it bug you. It's uh, you've got to suppress it. Like I became so good at suppressing the fact that I was fucked up inside. <laughs> like you know, this isn't a story. Like, I don't want this to come across as like, I don't want any pity. I want people to realize that no matter what sort of 
setbacks you have in life and trauma and situations that you experience that we have this beautiful thing called mother earth that we live on that has the most insane healing powers. And as a society, we have become so disconnected from it. There's so many people who spend hours each day in front of a TV and on their phone. And I understand there's a place in time, but when was the last time you went outside on a hike and just sat on a rock and felt the earth's vibrations and just was very present, right? And that was, like I said, what got me through my childhood. So that's sort of a brief, a brief little <laughs> history as to like the childhood part of it and like my connection towards the outdoors and hunting. And most of my teenage years are a blur. Um, I dealt with very low self-esteem, a lot of shame. Uh, you know, in my high school years, I remember just like holding my binder and walking down the hallway, like not looking at anybody, avoiding eye contact. I did not have the skills to socially interact with anybody because we weren't allowed to hang out with people outside of their religion. So if I didn't have friends in my class um, from that same religion, I didn't talk to anybody at all. I was a super shy kid and, you know, ride the bus home and we would have to walk the mile up the driveway. And I just remember a huge sense of relief every day coming over to be like, oh, I'm going to go sit back by the pond today, or I'm going to go like for an adventure. I'm going to go build a rope swing or a, a fort out in the trees somewhere in the forest. And so, you know, the very, the memories I do have from my childhood, especially those teenage years are from my adventures outside, my time spent in the wild, but the the everyday mundane lifestyle is pretty blurry because I was I was pretty depressed. I didn't, like I said, a lot of this stuff I didn't realize until moving to Colorado, leaving the religion and starting to see a therapist and, and putting the pieces together. I was just in full-on survival mode. So graduated from high school and um, fell in love for the first time and, you know, he broke my heart and I just completely hit rock bottom and was so depressed and just like started having suicidal thoughts. I had never had suicidal thoughts before, but you know, now that I was older, the body was changing and it's like that natural way of right. Craving a companion and like all of my insecurities and just like my self-worth was so low absolutely just solo. I felt so bad about, like, I just, I spoke very poorly of myself. I would look in the mirror and it was nothing but just judgment and shame. And that's just what I had known my whole life. And that's how I coped. And so when I moved out to Colorado, that was essentially like, I like to call it, it's going to be the part two of my book. That is when everything started to change, became a raft guide and, um, had this amazing 10 years of working for whitewater rafting in Glenwood Springs where, you know, I was a, a commercial whitewater raft guide on the river. And that was the place that opened my eyes to the world. <laughs> I was, I lived a life of just like such uh, narrow-mindedness, such confinement, right? And now I had this opportunity to work for a company that was the boss's are some of my best friends now to today. They have sold the company, but I was almost like it had this portal of 
of what the world really is. And so all these things that the minister had preached to us growing up about how evil the world is, all of a sudden I was seeing it through eyes of, oh, look at Remy. Sorry, my little doggo jumped up. Remy's giving me Hi, some baby. Baby girl. Oh, you're so beautiful. <laughs> Isn't she cute? Yeah, she is cute. Okay, let's go lay down. Okay, I'm working. Let's go lay down. She's like, I want some love. Go lay down. And um, so when I moved out to Colorado, it was like, the main reason I moved here was for the hunting. Um, I would come out every once in a while with my dad in the spring and we would, we would shed hunt and my dad would come out every year to deer hunt. And I always wanted to come with him, but it was a boy's trip. It was always a boy's trip. And dad, I want to come with you maybe next year, but it never happened. So I moved out to Colorado and started hunting out here and just fell in love with the mountains. The mountains were so big and just so challenging and such wild places like being out there during archery season and a snowstorm and a thunderstorm comes through and you're just you're 10 miles out there you have to be ready you have to be prepared you have to just kind of ride the wave there was something just so connecting and um you know I I loved that and so I started venturing out hunting on my own you know I've done a lot of solo hunting my life but like growing up it was all hunting behind the house so I was only a couple miles away and like I said not really any predators not much to really worry about but when I came out to Colorado it was a little bit more of a wild experience because mountains are big and we've got we've got predators and you know all the other elements that come into factor so I had a deer tag and I went out and I hunted and I shot a really great muley it was my first solo hunt, solo pack out. I think that was in like 2017. And it was just such a proud day for me. I, I remember planning everything out so perfectly. I got to the trailhead before, well before it was light and I hiked in, got exactly to the place I wanted to be for daylight and a beautiful 13 point buck came walking through and I dropped him with the 300 mag one shot and walked up to him and it's like, dad is not here to help me. I've got to do this all on my own. And I'm like, you've got this, Drea, you've seen it done hundreds of times. Like, this is what you know. And sure enough, I got to work and it was just normal. I just started, you know, I skinned him and I, I quartered him out and I packed out. I remember being like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do two trips. Like, what if a bear comes? I don't have like, a, you know, like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I'm going to pack them all out in one round. But deep down inside me, I was like, there's this, this like, I needed a hard challenge. Like I needed to prove to myself of like mentally how strong I was. And so I threw all that meat in a pack and I packed him out in one trip and it was about a three mile pack out. And it was one of the hardest things I had ever done, but like the most liberating and freeing experience where it was just like, wow, Drea, like my, um, my memories from my abuse had, had been resurfacing. And so a lot of kind of the exposure to the world through whitewater and being out there hunting, like I started having memories that were surfacing and was, that was the time frame where I was like, you know, maybe this religion isn't for me. Like I, I kind of think this is messed up that 
my brother gets the hall pass because he, um, you know, he believes and I don't. And so that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to get into that today. I'll, I'm going to save that either for part two or for the book. You guys can go, you'll read about that in the book because that's just, that's, we will not go down that rabbit hole today, but that, that hunt, that mule deer hunt where I killed that buck and packed him out all on my own, something clicked inside me and that pack out, like I said, that was the first time in my life where I was told myself, and I remember saying it out loud and having the biggest smile on my face. You, Drea, you are strong. Look what you are doing. Like, why for all these years have you been telling yourself otherwise? Like, you are worthy, you know, like, look at you now. Like, you were packing out this animal all on your own, you know, almost 200 pounds on your, on your back and you're doing it with a smile on your face. So that hunt set things into motion for me to start believing in myself and to start dealing with the fact that I had suppressed my abuse for, you know, 10 plus years now. And so then it just became a ball rolling down the hill. One thing led to the next. My best friend and I, we were at one of the local bars a couple of days after that hunt. She's like, I want to go out and celebrate with you. Cause like, she was so proud of me. She's, um, she's pretty amazing. Um, she was the first person that I had told about my abuse. She, I love her to death. She's my best friend. And, um, so we went out to the bar and just like, of course it was like two pretty girls, blonde hair, super energy. Like we walk in and there's so much testosterone and we're just rolling our eyes. We're like, we are not interested. We just want to catch up just a couple girlfriends. Right. And, um, we had been there for a while and this guy walks up, um, my friend Bill, and he was like, Hey, my buddy, Pat and I are, are playing a game of pool. You want to play? And we're like, okay, sure. Like kind of rolling our eyes, but like, all right, these guys seem legit, whatever. So we start playing pool and it was like, oh, who are you guys? And they're like, oh, we're hunting guides. We work for Bear Creek Outfitters. We're, we're on break right now. It was between third and fourth rifle. And my friend Amy's like, ah, oh, no way, Drea, tell them all about your story. Drea just killed this buck all by herself. And she was just like, you know, so stoked, just like hyping me up. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. And they're like, that's amazing. Tell us the story. So they wanted to hear about it. And I told them, they're like, you should come out and be hunting guide with us. Like, are you serious? Like what? And they're like, yeah, like it won't work this year. You know, there was only fourth rifle left. So one season left of the season, but they're like, you know, come on out next year. Like you've got a job with us. We would love to have you out. Like they could see the grit and the fire and the passion within me. So the following year, I went out to Bear Creek and I've been guiding for them ever since. And that was, you know, <laughs> that's a whole another rabbit hole, the guiding career. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot, we could talk about a lot of different things, <laughs> <than that. laughs> but you know, I think the most important thing to take away from, from this story and from my personal experience, like I said, I'm, I'm not at all trying to, there's no pity. I'm not seeking pity, but I, I want people to understand that life can be insanely hard. You don't have to suffer traumatic events like I did. Like it could just be hard, but take a chance, put your phone down and go for a walk, go sit by the river, go float on the river, go climb a mountain, like go do something outside. Like 
stop sitting behind your screen so much, you know, and do something that's challenging. Go hike a mountain and fill the lungs, your lungs beat heavy and you're like hard and loud in your chest and just like, go for it. Like this, there's, there's so much healing and connection and grounding out there. And if you can take anything away from, from my story is like, no matter what you've been through, like, yeah, counseling is amazing. Absolutely. It costs a lot of money, but there is this free thing called mother nature that we can get out and enjoy. And, and for me through hunting, that's where I'm challenged. Like it's, it's such a challenge, like for hunting, you know, obviously notching your tag is amazing. I had three tags last year and I didn't fill one. And there were so many times I was just beating my head against the ground. Like, what am I doing wrong? Come on, Drea. Like, you know, it was so challenging in such a good way, especially mentally. Yes. Physically. It's a challenge hiking these mountains in Colorado. And I was in Montana and South Dakota and Arizona as well. So the terrain is always different, but it always comes down to that mental and emotional challenge of trying to outsmart these animals that, you know, we are in their house, essentially trying to harvest one of them. So yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, so first of all, that was, you're really, you're really good at like telling a story. So I'm, I'm excited to read your book anyway, but like, I'm excited to share it with the world like that. What I just told is a very short snippet of it. You know, like there's so much more, I'm excited to put those in people's hands and for them to be able to sort of experience that and be able to see, see more. So, yeah. And I, and I, I'm trying to put my words together. I am really grateful for you sharing your story and and feeling like you can and I I think it's important if people feel comfortable enough to share those stories I think it's important that people do because you know what you experienced and what you went through there are so many people out there who went through something similar um that they just don't they don't share that right and maybe and maybe they never will say it out loud Um, or they keep it pretty close, but I think there is, there is comfort in knowing that you can get through it and Mm -hmm. heal and whether, you know, you're listening and you've been through something similar, but you don't know that you can be vulnerable and share those things with somebody. I, I just strongly feel like share, you know, it's important that folks do share. Not everyone has to share, but it's important that they do. And I really appreciate you doing that because a big part of the podcast and what matters to me in it is you, you hit on so many points that I was like nodding my head and almost like emotional about is you went into this big, like solo pack out trip, you know, which was incredible. But you also talked about like, just go sit on a rock and like feel earth by, you know, earth vibrations, like whether you're one extreme or the other, or just in between, like whatever feels like that next step to get outdoors for you, just do that next step. Cause I know there's people, uh, myself included hearing some of the really awesome things you've done. Like, how do I ever get there? Like you're, you're way more, you know, capable than me or whatever they might be thinking, but like, that's not even what it is. It's the outdoors is healing as human beings. We are meant to spend time outdoors. Like we are made that way. Um, 
and we are just so disconnected. Even, even my, even myself, someone who talks about the outdoors, loves hunting, loves fishing, loves hiking, loves farming. Like sometimes I don't feel like I spend enough time outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have lots of time where I don't spend nearly enough time outside and I can tell in my mental health and like where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I appreciate so many things that you said, because, you know, on one hand, I want to mo- motivate people to push themselves and get outside of their comfort zone. But if all you can muster to do right now is go sit on a rock and enjoy the outdoors, like that's enough too. Yeah. Like go by the river, watch it yes. flow, you know, put yourself out there. And I can tell you 100% satisfaction guaranteed, like <laughs> yes. you're going to walk away a happier <laughs> person and result being healthier. Like it's so good to just every day have a little bit of that. And I understand there's people that you know, live in the city and it's not as accessible, but, you know, I do want to reiterate, like, if you have, if you have, you know, suffered, you know, abuse and hard things, like talking about it is very freeing and very liberating. I remember telling my friend, Amy, she was the first person I told. And I remember that night, like, how do I even muster up the courage to say this? Like, how do I tell somebody this? Like, it's, it was so hard just to say the words. But each time I told my story, it became more freeing. Like my, I, uh, the way I um, like to describe it is like most of my life, I was in a cell and I had chains to both my wrists and my feet. And I was the one that was holding the key the whole time to unlock those chains and to free myself but fear held me back for so long and finally because of that deer hunt because of that mule deer hunt I finally had the courage to unlock those chains and to open the door and just not give a shit what anyone thought and be like this is my story I'm gonna own it and if people want to judge me so be it but like this is who I am and I want to be healthier and I want to be better and you know it works. You talk about it and you're going to get, you're going to get healthier. You're going to get stronger. You're going to be happier and you're going to inspire other people along the way to do it. Like it's something in today's age that's unfortunately a big issue. And, you know, with this new generation coming in, like we, I feel like we are, we express ourselves more, right? Look at my little doggo is snuggling. She is so, she's so pretty. She's she very goes. beautiful. She is. Oh, You're so pretty. <laughs> and also getting a dog. Maybe if you don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> about it, get a dog. So I had a dog. Her name was Adina. When I was going, when I was 18 years old, just moved out of my parents' house. The memories of my abuse, I completely, they were completely gone, but I was so depressed and just like the nightmares for pretty much every night and just like one of the darkest parts and like most confusing and lost times of my life. And my parents, they, we always had labs growing up and my parents' dog had um, puppies and I adopted one of them. She, I named her Adina. She ended up getting Parvo. And so I was like, I want to take care of her. She was the runt. I was like, I'm going to take care of her. And it gave me something to take care of. And you know, she healed up, she went to the vet and she was fine. And she became my little lifeline. I remember sitting on the back porch at the house that I lived in, just 
bawling my eyes out, just like, what is wrong with me? I don't know what it is, right? But she sat there and she licked me and we played. And so even if it's, you know, getting a dog, <laughs> dogs do wonders as well. Yeah, because <clears throat> they kind of force you to, they also force you to get outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. hopefully, most, most yeah. breeds anyway, mm-hmm. most do. Uh, yeah, I actually just, there's been so much. I was just talking to my mom about this, I think yesterday. To an, to an extent, I feel like I'm the same person I was when I was little, but yeah. she was talking to me about the waves of change that, like I've gone through. She's like, you are so different than you were. She's like, you're not, but you are. She's like, you're so different than you were a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you're just, you're kind of just this different version of yourself. Like there's just things that you get stronger, wiser, loosen your grip on things a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Healing, healing hopefully happens for people. Yeah. Um, you know, but the last couple of years for me have been this like emotional roller coaster of really high highs and really low lows. And um, maybe it's not fair to the puppy, but I was just telling my boyfriend yesterday, I'm like, this dog heals me in so many ways. It's, it's really hard for me to explain. Yeah. Like really. when I'm having a really bad, really bad moment or a bad just day, like the whole day, which I try not to have a whole day of bad, but yeah the dog I don't know I don't even know how to explain it but he he helps me so much yeah. so much. well you just saw that there Remy totally came up to me because she could she could feel my energy she could feel like the vibrations in my voice she could she could connect with that and she came up to me and was just like I need to leave by you mom yeah I love you yeah <laughs> yeah yep to- totally a thing dogs dogs are amazing mm-hmm. amazing um but I I have this opportunity coming up so I've been thinking about this a lot with you know writing my book and telling my story and luckily I I have um acquired a gold mine so Bear Creek Outfitters who I work for they've been in business for 20 to 25 years somewhere around that time and Tim, the owner wants to phase out. He wants to retire. He wants me to take over all the operations. And I said, let's slow it down. I'm, I want to take over your two remote cabins where I can guide hunts. I'll manage those. You know, I will take that off of your hands. And he's like, all right. He's like, but Drea, we also have, you know, 8,000 acres of private land with a lodge and, you know, several cabins that sleep up to about 40 people. He's like, anything you want to do to utilize this land, it's all yours. So I am hosting a women's big game 101 clinic, which that's how you and I connected on. I think you saw my post about that. And this clinic is June 9th through June 12th. So it's a Thursday evening through Sunday afternoon. And our main focus of this clinic is going to be learning those essential skills to be able to give you the confidence and the skill set to be able to go out and be a more successful hunter. Not only are we talking being a successful hunter as in notching your tag, yes, that is important, but being a successful hunter and knowing as a woman, you can go out and pursue wild game without a man holding your hand. 
whether you go out and hunt for a day or whether you go out and you do a three, a three day backcountry hunt, like we're going to be covering navigation 101, teaching you how to read maps, how to read the landscape, why the animals are going to be in certain areas of the landscape at certain times of years, make you confident to be able to go out and be able to be know where north, south, east, and west is, how to find water, how to find timber, um, to really just learn the wild, wild game habitat and to be able to look at that and successfully be able to look at a map and to be able to go out and do that. So skills for the field, glassing 101, where we'll go out and I'm going to teach you and show you, we are all going to have a pair of optics and be looking out and be like, why are the elk here at 7 a.m.? And why are they here at 7 p.m. right before dark? What are they doing in the meantime? Okay, if it's September, they're going to be here. But in November, when there's snow, they're not going to be here. And why? And so it's going to be a boots on the ground style clinic. We're going to get out. We're going to hike around. We're going to set up some trail cameras. We're going to pump water from streams. And we're just going to enjoy time out there. But more so is, yes, these skills. I want to be able to instill these skills into you ladies to be able to go out, have a better hunt, be more successful, be more confident. But this is also an opportunity for you to come out and to perhaps you've gone through a hard time in your life, whether it's now or it was in the past, and you are still looking for a way to heal and to be able to have a space to connect with yourself and challenge yourself. Perhaps the story that I've told today will encourage you to come out and, you know, there's only eight slots open. I have three women signed up. So it's going to be a smaller group of ladies. We're going to be staying in a remote cabin on our property and adventuring out into the national forest. So all the amenities will be there. It's going to be rustic, but comfortable, but I encourage you to let go of your, your husband's or your significant other's hand or your guy friends or whatever, and really take charge and invest in yourself as an outdoor woman. Perhaps you're not a hunter, but you want to learn about the backcountry and how to navigate and how to pack and how to, you know, have a, a safer time out there. And more importantly, to be able to connect with other women that are wanting to do this as well. Steph and I were talking at the beginning before we started to hit record about, you know, us women, hunters is the largest, one of the largest growing demographics now. And I actually saw this girl's TikTok page this morning. She's, she was at a, her uh, Navy base and she was talking to a guy about hunting and she was asking him, you know, like where she could hunt and if how many other ladies at the base were hunters. And he's like, you're the only one. And she made such a valid point of like, we need to encourage other women to get out there and, and do this. And because there are so many so many um, amazing things that we can take away from being a hunter or a fisher, like a hunter and gatherer. Yes, notching the tag is amazing, right? Like to be able to provide meat for your family, for yourself and to be able to enjoy that. But there are so many other elements of hunting that are gonna make you just an overall healthier and happy individual. And if it's something you're not interested in, that's fine. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, hunting and the outdoor life is something that 
is part of who you are, something that you are looking to, you know, introduce into your life. So I highly encourage you to come on out to this clinic and to get away in the mountains for a few days and to learn those essential skills, but to be able to just be, we'll go sit on a rock. We're going to go, you know, run around in the forest and I would love it for, for y'all to join us and to be able to, you know, create that sisterhood moving forward in the largest growing demographic that there is right now. Like let's stand strong and let's support each other and let's be a sounding board and let's connect and grow and learn from each other. And yeah, I, I would love it. If, if that's something that interests any of you guys, you can, you can reach out to me for more information and whatnot, but I wish when I was young, I would have had somebody, you know, like during the darkest part of my life. Luckily, I already had that connection to hunting and to the outdoors. But man, what I would have given at age 17 when I was so lost and scared to have somebody be like, come on out and we're going to, we're all going to be challenged. We're going to grow together. We're going to experience all these amazing things. You know, and even after I moved to Colorado and I was in my early twenties when I was drinking and partying all the time and hunting just kind of got pushed to the wayside. I wish there was somebody there that was just like, you know, Drea, you know, I know you're going through a hard time and I want you to come on out and just let go for a few days. Yeah. Remy's I echo, up. I echo that sentiment and I'm, I am like extremely bummed that those dates don't line up for me exactly because I have two things that like overlap into them and I'm super bummed and I hope I hope there's a way I can either like come see you individually or do another one if you do another one um because I think that sounds awesome like even someone who's been hunting forever you know like I mentioned earlier in the podcast one I I kind of like choose to live my life of becoming the best woodsman I can be because even though I've been you know, in that world, my whole life, there's so much, I don't know, you know, I, there's so much, I don't know and understand. I have so yeah. many questions about so many things. Um, and again, Colorado to Iowa, totally different world. Um, and there's skills that I just, I need, I need help with, you know, I need that. And I also never get tired of the community building part of it because the, I didn't have, I, I had very few friends in general, regardless of male, male or female that were in hunting when I was growing up, very, very few. Mm -hmm. I have a whole bunch now because of my job and the podcast and all that, but that that's just in the last couple of years of my life. Yeah. And most of them are all over the country, which is really badass. But, um, you know, I, I want, I want those, those connections. I want to take them hunting. I want to go hunting with them. I want to hear their stories. I want to learn from them. Um, I want that support system myself, even though I'm, you know, in it all the time. So I think that's awesome. And that is how we connected was I was so pumped up about your event. Like people, if they're even kind of interested, they're crazy <laughs> not yeah. to give this a try. I, that's I what I'm saying. I'm like, why, why am I having such a hard time? And I was telling you this and I've been telling other people, I'm like, why am I having such a hard time getting ladies to sign up for this? Like, this is, ah, like I would have, like I said, I would have died to have this opportunity back so maybe you know, maybe we I'm... can and maybe maybe this will help me here on the podcast this will be like a good thing to like chat about for a couple minutes 
and then I can share, I'll share this too. And I'll make sure people can get to your event through the podcast. But, um, so if someone is looking at it and they're having like those hesitations, because what I imagine is there's a handful of ladies out there who are like, oh, this is so cool, but I don't meet this ABC, whatever they're predetermining in their head of, I'm not fit enough for this. I don't hunt. I don't know anything about anything. I don't know my North from South, let alone my left from right, you know, or something like that. Uh, whatever that might be. What, what would you say are like the bare minimum requirements for someone to come do this with you? There's no requirements. Okay. That's just the thing. <laughs> There's no requirements. Like we're not going to be hiking a mountain that's a 14er. Like we're going to be hiking at elevation from 7,500 to 9,000. And I, we're not going to, if somebody shows up and they're not super in shape, we're not leaving them in the desk, but also this clinic is a way for you to put yourself into check your health, your, your fitness, your everything. It's, it's going to be and it is for me every time I go on a hunt, right? Like, and that's probably one reason why I'm so obsessed with it is because it's constantly keeping me in check. And, um, it's like, we're going to, you know, if you're struggling, we're not leaving you in the dust. It's, there's only going to be, you know, nine of us. So eight ladies plus myself, I don't want you to be intimidated by this because there are no requirements. There's no skill sets. None of that is on the table. All are welcome. Um, you know, like even if you are, a teenager and you want to come out absolutely if you have a daughter that wants to come out with you absolutely like all about it there's not really an age requirement or anything I just I want this to be a space for the women to get together and to learn and to grow and to connect yeah I love it see that's like what I I can I imagine there really is no requirement but I I do I know from some of the events that I've put together in workshops, like once I kind of pick people's brains of, you know, ones that maybe hesitated or ones that didn't, or yeah, what were their perceived barriers? Um, it's given me some insight. Cause I know I've done that too. Like this is probably a silly example, but the first time I joined CrossFit, which I haven't done for years now, but when I first did it, I like got in shape before I joined CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> because I was so, I was so, and CrossFit kicked my butt. Yeah. Um, I did it for like six months every morning at 4 a.m. And I puked every single day. And yeah. I think, I think the reason I had obliques then is because I puked so much, not because of the workouts. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember really hesitating joining CrossFit because I really thought I had to be like a certain, certain certain fitness level. And I didn't like at all. That's probably not a great example, but it's like the first thing that came to my mind. Makes um, sense. and it, it was dumb. Like I, I, I wasn't do, I, I wasn't there for anyone, but myself, you know, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't there for anyone, but myself. I just wanted to be in better shape. I did not need to be in shape before I went. That was, I mean, the cool thing I did, I guess, but yeah. you know what I mean? It just, yeah. Yeah. We build stuff up. Exactly. Exactly. We, we put expectations in front of our way when, when they don't need to be there. No, I think it's great. I think, I think it's gonna be a great event and I'm envious of those that do sign up, but we'll definitely share that in here and um, make sure people can see that because I think, 
I think that's a special thing. And it's really interesting. I mentioned this on the, the podcast a handful of times lately because I've been um, in the same room with a lot of people who analyze data around hunting in the outdoors. Uh, they get paid to do that. And some like, inter- and, and I might be, I might be slightly butchering them because I'm just going off of memory. But some of the stats I've seen in the last like couple of years about women in the outdoors is that it is the largest growing demographic, but they still only make up 10 to 11%. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fascinating. I think that's going to look way different in about five oh, years. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, and you and I talked about that a little bit before mm-hmm. we hit record, but I, I do, I do, I, I will be curious to see and listen back to some of these podcasts now that I talked about this and like, see where that number's at in five years, because I think, I think in 10 years, it'll be closer to 50, but we'll see because I see more and more women getting into the outdoors every single day. We'll see how many are about the gram and how many are actually yes. about it in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Someday Instagram is going to crash and it's no longer be there. And we'll, we'll see a drop in numbers for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, uh, I always thought that was interesting because it is cool. Like on the end of social media, it's cool to share about your hunting experience. Cause you want to kind of inspire others to believe that they can do it too. Right. You want to show them the hard work that was put in. You're proud of your, you know, your animal or your foot, whatever you forage, whatever, you know, the mountain you climbed. Yeah. Um, you're proud of that and that inspires people and it, and it, it really does, but man, that's just hard. Like all outdoor stuff is kind of also miserable (laughs) and there's a level of misery with a lot of it. So it would be interesting. Like if you don't have anyone to show that you did it, like, will you still do it? Exactly. If it was taken away, if like, if those social media platforms were taken away, would you have as much motivation to get up and go outside and pose with your gun and to hike around, you know, to, so you can get that dopamine hit to get 5,000 likes. Yeah. Like it's great to spread that, but there's, there's that fine line. And I've experienced that with Ridge Patrol when we first launched and we were looking for ambassadors, the amount of women that reached out to, um, you know, want to become ambassadors for us. And that was tricky because you're, we were trying to gauge these women through a screen of, are you authentic? Are you doing genuine? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Or are you doing right. it for the likes? Like, yeah. We want women on our team who are genuine about it, who yeah. are passionate. No, that's hard. That's really outdoors. hard. That's, yeah. you really gotta, everyone's so busy and social media whether you're being genuine or not is such, it's just clips of someone's life. Their people are so much more complex than their social media page. And so you have to like slow down and get to know these people because you, you would have no idea like good and bad. If I, there's a handful of people I've met through, I only knew them through social media. And once I met them in person, I was either really pleasantly surprised or the opposite, you know? Um, and, and, and some people, some people feel more comfortable showing up on social media than they do in person. There, there, there's so many layers there. It's not black and yeah. white, but that's really hard to know who you're talking to on the other end. Like yeah, exactly. not genuine human connection until you like slow down and see their mm-hmm. face. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, tell us like, as we, I, time has gone by really fast. Tell us about Ridge Patrol. 
um, and like starting that and what that looks like. And yeah, tell, tell us about that. Absolutely. So Rich Patrol is a women's specific hunting clothing line. As we all know, there is with it being the largest growing demographic, there is also, so there's a huge need for it and the supply is not being met. So there are a few companies out there uh, from my knowledge. And then there's also companies like Sitka, Kuyu, I'm totally calling them out, First Light, that have an abundance. You pull up their website and it's like, 20 options of men pants. And then you go to the women's page and there's four options of pants. And it's like, this makes no sense. Men are typically going to be tall or bigger or petite. And then you get women who are all over the board. So my business partner, Bevan and I, she is the founder. I am the co-founder. And um, I met her a year ago in Steamboat in the spring simply through Rocky Mountain Sports Women, the nonprofit there who I am an ambassador for. She was looking for ladies to try on the clothes. So she had her first round of prototypes. And so I went to her house thinking like, oh, I'm just going to try on these clothes for her and give her some feedback. Not at all thinking it was going to go anywhere and tried on the clothes. And we just connected instantly um, she's a yoga instructor. She's new to hunting herself. She's never hunted big game. She's just getting started in, in small game hunting. And, you know, she grew up without it. And then, so we connected and I was like, I would love to, I would love to help you out. You know, I've, I've got a hunt coming up. I'm going to Arizona and then maybe going to Montana to hunt bear. I would love to take the clothes and test them for you. Um, I'm a photographer as well. I would love to be able to get content for you. And then our relationship just built from there. She asked me to come on as a partner and it's just been the most amazing journey so far. It's only been a year. We launched our clothes in August. So we haven't even technically been a business for a year yet. And it's just so amazing. It feels so good to be able to put clothes in women's outdoor women's hands you know, this is an outdoor clothing brand. So we have everything in camo and everything in green. Like I said, we're new. And so we only have a spring and fall line as of now. Once we find an investor and financially can move forward, you wouldn't believe the list of gear that I have already drawn up, you know, like as a hunting guide, I, and just like an avid hunter and outdoors woman, I spend at least 300 days outside a year. And so like, I've got water, I've got waterproof bibs, I've got bino harnesses, I've got gaiters, I've got rain jackets, I've got waterfell gaiters. Like I have an endless list of women's gear. So, you know, as we grow and evolve, those pieces will be, be created. But like what I was saying is it feels so good to be able to put gear into these hands of the outdoor women where you feel good. You feel confident. Like our gear, it performs. So like I'm wearing this right now and living up on the mountain. I've been living remotely this last winter and I wear our stuff to go out and chop firewood. I go wear it to go for a hike. I wear it just around camp doing chores. And so I've worn it in every single element and all types of terrain and the best part about it is it's so versatile that I could wear it in any one of those terrains and it's going to perform, it's going to function. And I look good. Like I look good. It's not this baggy <laughs> hair, pants, this baggy shirt. Like 
it looks good. It fits right. When I'm hiking, it doesn't ride up weird. It doesn't sag. Like it makes me feel good and it makes me want to get to the next ridge because it performs and it gives me that confidence boost of like, yeah, I'm a woman in the outdoors. And like this, there's, it's so much more than just the clothing right line. Right. So like I said, we're pretty new, but we're made, made by women for women. Um, we're USA made as of now. So all of our stuff is made in California, but we might be moving over to China. We're just, we're trying to figure it out. You know, it's, it's tough starting out a business from the ground up and we have financially done it ourselves. We haven't had any help. And so now we're to the point of like, once we start making money, then we can keep growing, but do we need to move overseas? This is like, I've been hearing a lot about this within the States. Like people love USA made stuff, but it is so damn expensive, especially starting up without any financial help from anyone else to do that. So we're kind of in this fine line now of like, all right, do we move to China? Do we stay in the U S um, do we stay in the U S but honestly, to me, that's kind of background noise. It's who we are as a brand and, what we're promoting, you know, like we, we are outdoor women who as the co-founder, like a hunting guide that has my own, you know, outfitters and outfitter LLC and whatnot. So, and that's what we want to be able to give to other women is, is clothing that's going to make them feel good and be able to hunt harder and further and really excited. It's been so fun to like, see this community grow. Like we're now starting to like see people in our gear and like, see ladies getting out and looking for sheds and hunting for birds, upland birds or waterfowl, or just like going out for a hike and hiking big mountains. Like my cousin lives in Alaska and she's hiking these big mountains in her pants. And I'm like, I love this. Our gear is getting women outside. It's putting them in the place that like inspired all of this in the first place. So, yeah. And I was going to say, I love what you're wearing and I am nodding so much because as I um, we talked earlier before we hit record again, uh, sometimes unless money is not an object for you, I do love clothes. Okay. I do, I do love clothes, but as someone who hunts a lot, farms, hikes a lot, when I have money to spend on stuff, it's some, it, it's really hard for me anymore to spend it on like the jeans I love to wear or like the shoes I love to wear because my really good hiking and hunting boots are $350 hunting boots. And I've worn the crap out of them and they're amazing. And it was worth every penny. Yep. But that's just an example of, I, I have to sometimes put my money towards that stuff. And I want something I can use over and over again and wear it for different things because I'm going to spend that money, but I would rather spend it on my hunting and outdoor gear yep. 90, you know, <laughs> percent of the time investing yeah. you're, you're investing in your future and, right. and that thing too I've realized in the past few years I'm like I don't think this hunting guide thing is a seasonal thing like this is something I'm in for life yeah and being able to have gear that performs so well I've it's just brought me so many more amazing experiences I've been able to stay out in the field longer more comfortably in all the different elements right like hunting's not going anywhere. Like that is, that's who I am. Like I'm a hunter, I'm an outdoor 
enthusiasts, like my time is outdoors. So I need to invest in that gear. That's going to allow me to be able to do that. And through Ridge Patrol, like I, I understand that I'm not just like Ridge Patrol is in a brand that's just trying to take your money and trying to become successful off of selling clothes. Like we understand the need for gear that is going to perform and is going to push you further out there. So totally understand what you're saying with Yep. I would love like some new cool uh, jeans or like, I don't know. I'm not a shopper, but yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. I mean, I'm like, I just bought a new bino harness the other day. Cause I'm like, shoot, this one I had is like way too big. I've been wearing it for three years and it's really annoying because it's way too big for my body frame. So I'm like, I got to do it. I got to spend the $120 on a new bino harness. And I'm like, do I want to, I'm going to create one for Ridge Patrol. Like I'm going to create a badass woman, like vinyl harness that's meant for different body types. And I'm like, but that might be, you know, a year or two down the road. I kind of need one right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, not that anyone on the podcast wants to hear this, but whatever. So I, I have not bought a bino harness. I have almost bought one multiple times, but I haven't because because of my, my build yeah. and I'm really chesty and I'm like, that's dumb. They look, they, they look and fit so stupid on me yeah. and I can't, I can't really change that about myself. And mm -hmm. it's kind of, it, I like, I think they're cool. Like there's so many well-made ones out there. There's a lot of options and like good ones for different people and what they want to use them for. And, um, but yeah, like I, I relate to that. Like I'd never even really thought about that, but I have not bought them so many times because they just don't fit me correctly mm -hmm. um and they're just uncomfortable with my gear once I have gear on it just doesn't yeah. really work so well, we got you yeah no that's got you <laughs> yeah that's awesome that's yeah. really awesome thank you so I'm much glad. for being on here I I loved hearing your story and I definitely feel like a part two is in the future because there's just so many things that we like didn't even dive into and thank you for being on here and and could you, could you share with people, uh, where they can find you, where they can follow you, watch for your book, all of that good stuff. Absolutely. So my Instagram is what underscore your underscore wild. And my website is www.whatsyourwild.net. So you can find and follow along on my journey. I'm also a blogger and photographer. So I like to share hunting stories and just experiences through my life I like to write about and snippets of my book um so you can find me there and then of course Ridge Patrol is Instagram is at Ridge Patrol and then ridgepatrol.com go and get yourself some women's gear today before we sell out it's stuff is starting to move which feels good and so um go to our website and sign up for our email list we're not going to be sending you spam I like to send out newsletters with my blogs or any information regarding big game applications or any like local events in Colorado that are happening, any discounts, any sales, any giveaways, things like that we're, we're doing. So we're not going to litter your inbox with spam, but um, go on over to our website and sign up for our email list. So you can be sort of the first to know on all, all that stuff that I discussed, but would love for all of you guys to, to join along and to follow along the journey of just, you know, things that need to be brought more awareness to in this, in this crazy world that we're living in. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank, but thank you thank so you. much for having oh. me on. It's, it's been a, a pleasure to chat and, um, you know, 
once again, I wanted to let you guys know, like, tell somebody your story if you need to. And if, if you don't want to talk to, you know, share it to someone like I'm here as a sounding board. If you want to reach out to me and, and talk, like I am, I'm here for you. I'm not going to run around telling people like it's confidential, but like, I'm here as a friend, as a woman hunter, as an outdoor enthusiast, like I'm here. So it's been lovely Steph. I'm sure you've got to run. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to, to but I, do. I know. <laughs> Look yeah. forward to part two and um, let us know your feedback on this, guys. I think yes. it would be great to hear what y'all are thinking. And if there's anything about my story that you want me to talk more about, let Steph know or myself know and we'll, we'll yes. make sure we can get that going. Submit, submit questions and thoughts on this. You can comment on the site, reach out to me on, the, on my website. Um, yes, I always ask my guy. I love, I want that. I love that fine, you know. Most of them know how to find me on social media. So for sure, because we, I, I would love to have um, you and then multiple guests like as a part two, because they're just, people have so many interesting stories to share. And if I can bring people back on the podcast, I am as just excited about that as having a new guest on because I, I've just learned so much from so many people and and you, this has been such a powerful story and such a fun, such a fun episode for me. And I'm, I'm pumped to like follow along with your journey and, and support you however, however I can. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you again, everyone for being here, Andrea. Thank you for such an awesome episode. It was so good talking to you and I can't wait to have you back and see what you do. Leave us a review, reach out to me, everybody. And until next time, get out there.